This morning we'll be focusing on the implications and the truth that we find in Mark chapter 10, verse 45. Mark 10, 45, which reads, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Father, I ask that you would powerfully speak to our hearts this morning for your glory in your perfect way. You know every circumstance of everything that every person brought into this room. Father, your word tells us that You count all of our tossings and every one of our tears are written in your book. And so, Lord, we look to be ministered to by you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. In 1927, a 25-year-old young man, Charles Lindbergh, flew from New York to Paris across the Atlantic, solo, in a plane, took 33 hours, and he did it successfully. It's one of the the most incredible aviation feats that will always be celebrated. If you've ever been in St. Louis, you've seen pictures of Charles Lindbergh with his plane, and this incredible event that's, that happened in his life. Uh, a less known fact maybe to you about Charles Lindbergh is something that happened to him about five years uh, later. Uh, on March 1st in 1932, Charles Augustus Lindbergh Jr., a 20-month-old son of Charles Lindbergh, and his wife, Anne, was abducted from the crib in the upper room of their home in New Jersey. It happened at about 7.30 at night. Anne was actually in the bathtub. Charles was downstairs. And a gentleman, not a gentleman, an evil man, built a homemade ladder, climbed up to the second floor of their home, came through the window, took the 20-month-old baby, and left a ransom note in the windowsill asking for $50,000 in exchange to have their child back. Negotiations began to take place in a most peculiar way. As the news of this spread, people showed up to help look uh, for the child. The crime scene was destroyed almost immediately with all the good-hearted people that came to investigate. In fact, uh, the way we investigate today is largely because of how this crime scene was destroyed. But 
a retired uh, professor uh, wrote an article in the newspaper uh, to the kidnapper uh, to see if he could be a go-between between between, uh, Charles Lindbergh and the one who kidnapped his child, if he could mediate uh, this ransom being paid. And so through the newspaper, uh, the communication took place. Uh, The negotiation, just to spare time, uh, ended up uh, taking place in a cemetery where uh, this one, John Condon, the professor who's the mediary, met a guy who went by the alias John in a cemetery. And uh, the child's clothing was given to John to give proof that he had the baby. And then they met a second time in which $50,000 was handed over. And a note was given to the Lindbergh family uh, to tell them that their little baby Charles was actually uh, on a boat um, in uh, Massachusetts and that they could find him in this particular bay. Well, they went and searched there. The baby was not there. There ended up being 13 correspondents, basically changing of the ransom, going higher, then bringing it back down, negotiations, but the kidnapper never coming through on his end. Uh, Just over two months after baby Charles disappeared, uh, on May 12th, the child's corpse was discovered by a truck driver four miles uh, from the Lindbergh home. When they paid the kidnappers, they recorded the serial number on all the bills. They actually paid with what they had then was gold certificates. And two years later, one of these gold certificates, all the banks were given these particular numbers. And if one of these showed up, they were to report it to the police. Well, two years later, they ended up uh, prosecuting a man named Bruno Richard Hapman, who was convicted of the crime. This story is one of many kidnapping stories I could have told you. In fact, today, terrorists all over the world, ISIS, Boko Haram, uh, those close to actually where Mark is located in Nigeria, will go into schoolhouses houses where little girls are, and they'll mass kidnap little girls so they can sell them. And they'll try to recruit ISIS troops uh, by giving away these little girls. And ISIS actually uh, gained $35 million, they think, in ransom money to get these little girls back. So this type of evil is happening even as we speak today. I want you to imagine for a minute being one of the children kidnapped, being taken from your families, 
maybe being held captive for 10 years, 50 years, or 15 years, 20 years. I want you to consider what it would be like to be held captive. You might be saying, Sam, this is Christmas week. Come on, make us feel good and fluffy and just get into the Christmas spirit. Well, I'm trying to, actually. When you think back on your life, you might think, well, my life isn't nearly as dramatic or traumatic as it was for Charles Lindbergh and his wife, Anne. But I'm here to tell you today that your life actually has been more traumatic than that. We forget where we have come from. This is the week our culture celebrates Christmas, the birth of Christ. We don't know when he was born. He surely was probably not born on December 25th. This is the time when Christians have decided to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. It comes around every year. And with anything repetitive, we can begin to lose the meaning of the very thing that we're celebrating. Our culture has made it into all sorts of things that directs our attention away from Christ. Remembering the birth of Christ and why Jesus took on flesh and became a man ought to inspire worship from our heart. I do not know what the state of your heart is this morning. And as you approach this week, but my prayer is, is that you'll leave here this morning inflamed with joy and worship in light of what God has done for you in Christ. What would it be like to be held captive for years knowing there's a ransom to be paid? Remember when ISIS had this young gentleman, uh, Foley? There was a ransom of $35 million on his head and that the United States government let certain prisoner terrorists go but the United States doesn't negotiate with terrorists. So even if the parents could come up with the millions of dollars, there's no real way they're able to get their son back. The ransom price can't be paid. What would it be like to be this young man and to see the ransom come in? He never got to see that. In fact, he ended up being beheaded on video to be released as propaganda. Mark 10.45 tells us, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give His life as a ransom for many. The 
There's a hymn that goes like this. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor daily I am constrained to be. Let that goodness like a fetter. I didn't know what a fetter was. It's like shackles, handcuffs, imbreakable tie. Let thy goodness like handcuffs on me bind my wandering heart to thee. Let thy goodness bind my heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. I'm preaching this message this morning because if you're like me, it is easy to go into the Christmas season with a wandering heart. Going through the motions, I'm excited for family, I'm excited for this. But has my heart been bound to Him because I've seen His goodness, because I've remembered the gospel? At the beginning of the book of Revelation, if you have your Bibles, you can turn here with me, chapter 2, there is messages delivered to churches. These are actual churches with actual things to be praised and things to be critiqued. And these are churches that represent the types of churches there will be throughout all of time. And if I'm concerned about us, if I want to read the letters for us, or at least a couple of them, I want to Consider the church of Ephesus. So here's what it says. To the angel of the church of Ephesus, I know your works, your toil, and your patience, endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. You're hard workers. You're toilsome. You hate evil. You hate false teachers. You have discernment. You see false teachers. You're not deceived by them. There's a patient endurance. You love the truth. But then he says this, but I have this against you that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Wait a minute. Don't you do all the hard work by love? Isn't all the patient endurance and figuring out who the false prophets are? Isn't that motivated by love? I'm sure it is, but it's not the same type of love. This church hasn't been growing in their love for Christ. They love truth. They love endurance. They're willing to suffer for the truthfulness of the gospel, but they've forgotten their first love. And here's the remedy, verse 5. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. What happened over this time? They became the good ones, the right ones. 
the enduring ones. And they forgot where they have fallen. They forgot who they were. And so therefore, as they saw themselves as pretty good, their love for God went down. And then in chapter 3, Revelation 3.14, the church of Laodicea, similar. Maybe less to praise even in this church. To the angel of the church of Laodicea write the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'll spit you out of my mouth. For you say, here's the problem, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Here's the remedy. I counsel you to buy from me gold, refined from the fire. They don't need to buy if they're rich. If they don't see themselves as they really are, they won't go buy from God. So as we begin, as we consider what it means that Christ gave himself as a ransom, we need to remember our captivity. And for some of you, the captivity you're in right now because you're not yet a believer. So five things. I want you to consider the worth of the gift of Christ this Christmas and begin by considering your captivity. Have you forgotten where you have come from? Do we need to look and remember? Ephesians 2.1 tells us, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked following, now here's your three enemies, the course of this world, the world system, following the prince of the power of the air, that's Satan, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Your predicament was much worse or is much worse depending on if you're a believer or not than being kidnapped by ISIS and to have a ransom being held on your life. You were you bought in to the world system. The one you were being led by is the prince of evil, Satan himself. Not only that, but you were born sinful. The desires and passions of your heart were anti-God. 
You might be saying, no, I was never that way. Well, either you were saved really young and you don't remember, or you created a God that's a figment of your own imagination. You weren't looking for God any more than a criminal is looking for a police officer. You may be looking for a God that looks at your life and says, you're pretty good and you're getting in. And as you compare yourself to others, but the Bible says we were by nature children of wrath. That was the predicament we were in. Titus 3.3 says this, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hating others and hating one another. In John 3, here's the account. And this is the judgment. The light is come into the world and the people love darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. So light came into the world and men loved darkness. It was a slavery from the heart. It was deception from outside, from Satan in the world, and it was a love of that evil from the heart. Slavery to passions that are in rebellion to God. John 3.36 says, Whoever believes in the Son has has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Being held captive in the desert for 20 years, being tortured would be a horrible, horrible thing to imagine. But to be living with the wrath of God remaining on your head, an eternal separation from anything good, Separation from God and any good thing God has is a slavery much worse than we can imagine. When Adam and Eve were deceived in the garden and the liar came and convinced them that his words were better than God's words and they ate of the fruit, they produced children that believed the lie, that loved the lie. Not only are we held captive in our sin, but we were in such a bad scenario that we loved the kidnapper. We loved the evil one that led us astray. In Romans 1, we're told that all men were haters of God, rebellious against Him. Galatians 3.23 says it this way, Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned. Meaning, every day you wake up and you have the wrath of God to look forward to. Because of your sin, 
that you can't get away from because you love it and you're enslaved to it and you're addicted to it. Consider your captivity. Second, consider the cost of your redemption. Turn with me to Psalm 49. Psalm 49, we're going to begin in verse 5. Here's what it says. Would I, why should I fear in times of trouble when, iniq- when the iniquity of those who cheat me surrounds me? Those who trust in their wealth and boast of the abundance of their riches. See, those who have riches have power and they can harm us. But he says, why should I fear when that happens? For verse 7, it says, Truly no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life. For the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice. You are in such a bad predicament that no one can ransom you. There is not If you take all the money in the world and pay it, that cannot get you out of the slavery that we were all born into. That can't get us out of our slavery to sin. That can't get us out of the just condemnation that we deserve because of our sin from God. The price for a man's soul is too costly. And then he goes on and he says, for the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice that he should live on and never see the pit. For he sees that even the wise die and the fool and the stupid alike must perish and leave their wealth to others. Their graves are their homes forever, their dwelling places to all generations. Though they call, they are called by our called lands by their own names, man in his pomp will not remain. He is like the beasts that perish. This is the path of those who have foolish confidence, yet after them people approve their boasts. Like sheep, they are appointed for Sheol. Death shall be their shepherd, and the upright shall rule over them in the morning. Their form shall be consumed in Sheol with no place to dwell. Now that's depressing, is it not? But then verse 15, but God will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol for he will receive me. No man can pay the ransom price. No mere man, but God will. God will pay that price, a price beyond what we can imagine, a price so high that those who don't have the ransom paid will 
according to Matthew 25, 46, these will go away into eternal punishment? What? The cost for sin is eternal punishment in hell forever? And our culture says, I don't believe that. I'll never believe in a God that would have an eternal hell there someone would burn forever. I cannot believe that. I will not believe that. And the reason why they say that is they don't know the price because they don't know the crime. And the crime against an eternal God is eternal punishment. And so in 2 Thessalonians, it says, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels and flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. The cost is incredible that if the ransom is not paid for you and for I, the payment will be more than we can bear. We can't imagine the horrors of eternal punishment. Consider the cost of redemption. Third, consider God's love in sending Jesus. I'm preaching this sermon so that you love Christ more this Christmas. So that it doesn't become going through the motions. John 3.16 For God so loved the world. Someone would say, well, how much does God love the world? Do you know the amount of suffering in this world? Do you know what happened to me? You know, you know what happened to them? They'll say, for God so loved the world. Yeah. That he gave his only son. Well, how valuable is his son? Well, his son is the eternal son of God. The exact imprint of God himself. How much did God so love the world that he gave his only son? You better believe it's appropriate that we give gifts at Christmas. Because God gave his son. We're going to see in a moment that this should just be an outflow of giving the cost of the eternal son of God who really became a man and really died. Or how about 1 John 4, 9? In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this love, not that we, and this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That means he came to satisfy the payment, to bear the wrath of God. So know the love of God in the giving of the Son of God, the love of the Father. Now consider 
Jesus' love in giving his life. Hebrews 9.13 says this, For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, meaning make it so you can enter into the temple and do your worship there, how much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God. Who's the ransom payment paid to? The justice of God. Man is sinned, man must die. If God is just, if God is right, he must punish evil. And we have sinned against the eternal God. And Jesus gave of himself as the perfect payment to the Father. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works? Or Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God the Father. Remember what Jesus said in John 10, verse 17. For this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord and I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I've received from my Father. Jesus, God the Father in his love, sent Jesus to pay the ransom. Not just to pay the ransom, he didn't come down with millions of dollars. He came down with his life. He came down to be the ransom. But not only does God the Father love you, but Jesus wanted to do it. And he willingly, he wasn't a victim, he gave his life for you and for me. Consider Jesus' love in giving his life. Five, consider the result of his redemption. And this is two parts. He redeems us from the wrath of God. Galatians 4, 4 tells us this. But when the fullness of time had come. What's the fullness of time? God's perfect timing. Whenever he wanted of his own will. When the fullness of time had come. God sent forth his son, born of a woman. That's incredible. We'll wonder at that our whole life. Born under the law, why? To redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. There's those who need to be redeemed 
from the wrath of God because they have not kept the law. But God sent forth his son just like someone would buy. I read a story about a young girl that was owned as a slave and sold several times and not treated well. And a man saw this little girl. He had compassion for her and he bought her. And after he bought her, he set her free. He says, you're free to go. I purchased your redemption. Go. What do you think she wanted? She wanted to be the servant of the one who would buy her. And yet that's what God has done. According to this text, it says, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave in captivity, but a son. And if a son, then an heir to God. Ephesians 1.7 says this, In him we have redemption through his blood, through the ransom payment, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. How much has he done for us? He paid a ransom price for our sins according to the riches of his grace. Not out of his riches, but according to his riches. See, we can sing songs of praise right now. We don't even have a clue how blessed we are to be children of God purchased by Jesus Christ. First Peter 3.18 says this, For Christ suffered once for sins. He was the ransom payment. The righteous for the unrighteous that He might bring us to God. He redeems us from the wrath of God. That's called our justification. God, the moment you trust in Jesus Christ as your only hope for salvation, God legally declares you not guilty. No sins. Fully welcome into his presence because not only has God taken away your sin, but what's been given to you as a gift is Jesus' perfect life, which he lived under the law in your place to give life to you. The life we lived was put on Jesus and the punishment of the wrath of God being poured out on him was paid by Christ in our place. Consider the results of his redemption. We're redeemed from the wrath of God and he redeems us from slavery of sin. Not only can we be people that aren't walking around scared because is he going to let me in or is he not going to let me in? We're not people who believe we're saved by works. That if we do good enough, God will let us in. We've already talked about how no one, no amount of good works can purchase you out of the captivity you're in because of your sin. But the good news is, is for those of you in Christ, you're no longer a slave to your sin. Do you sin? Yes. Do you have to sin? No. 
Will anyone be perfect before Christ returns? No. Will you ever be able to claim, you know what? You left me without the Spirit and without the Word of God and I couldn't help it. I just had to do it. You, we can't say that. Because listen to Titus 2 verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for the blessed hope and appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who himself, for, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So in verse 14 it says, who gave himself, there's the ransom being paid, to redeem us from all unrighteousness and to purify for himself people who are zealous for good works. The miracle is when you trust Christ, this heart that hates God, the taste buds change. You're given a new heart. The sin you used to love now doesn't taste good. You don't love it anymore. And the God you used to think was boring, and you would sit through sermons and you'd kind of yawn and be like, when is this going to be over? I got to get to whatever. Now becomes life to you. It's the miracle how God has set us free from slavery to sin. Can you walk with your flesh? You bet. But Paul tells the Galatians, don't walk with your flesh. Walk according to the Spirit. How do you walk with the Spirit? You listen to what the Spirit says. What does the Spirit say? Read the Spirit's words. They're in your Bible. Here's how Peter said a similar thing. As obedient children, this is 1 Peter 1.14, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you should be holy for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout your time of exile. He's saying you're going to give an account as a servant of Christ knowing, how are you going to do that? How are you going to live this new life? Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your fathers, not with perishable things such as silver of gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like the lamb without blemish or spot. He says, as you're being persecuted in your running I know you're probably tempted to, to just give in to sin. But remember that you were ransomed. Church that's been exiled. Not with gold, but with the precious blood of the Lamb. Here's how I want to bring it to a close. There's a story in history written about King Cyrus. This is not found in the scripture. So... Someone could prove this to be false like any history could be proved to be false. But I share it as an illustration. 500, this would have been about 530 years before Christ. 
was born. And I'm reading what a guy named Steve Goodyear accounts. An ancient story tells us of two great warriors, Cyrus and Kegular. Cyrus, of course, was the noted emperor of Persia, and Kegular was a little-known chieftain who consistently repelled Cyrus's attack. Kegular's troops tore the Persian army apart time and time again as they resisted Cyrus' attempt to expand his southern border. Finally, Cyrus amassed his whole army and surrounded Kegular and captured him and brought him to the capital for trial and execution. On the day of the trial, Kegular and his family were brought to the judgment chamber. The chieftain was six feet tall with the appearance of a nobleman. And he faced the throne Cyrus was duly impressed with the image of Kegular, seeing this mighty warrior and just the beauty of his countenance. On the day of the trial, our, our, Cyrus was impressed with Kegular. What would you do to spare your life? The emperor asked. Your majesty, replied the warrior, if you spared my life, I would return home and remain your obedient servant as long as I live. What would you do if I spared the life of your wife who stands here? Cyrus questioned. Your majesty, if you spared the life of my wife, I would die for you. So moved was Cyrus by his answer, that he freed Kegular and his wife and appointed the chieftain to go and govern the southern province where he lived. On the trip home, Kegular enthused to his wife, did you notice the marble at the entrance of the palace? Did you see the corridor to the throne room? Did you see the chair on which he sat? It was made of one lump of solid gold. His wife appreciated her husband's excitement, but admitted, I really didn't notice any of that. Well, Kegular asked in amazement, what did you see? She looked seriously into his eyes and said, I beheld only the face of the man who said he would die for me. My prayer is that as you celebrate Christmas, by faith, you look into the eyes of the eternal God who loved you so much and sent Christ to die in your place, in my place. Job, in all of his suffering, at the end of Job, in, in chapter 33, a man named Eliahu comes to try to encourage Job. And here's what he says. In verse 19, man is rebuked with pain on his bed 
and with continual strife in his bones, so that his life loaves bread and his appetite choices foods. This is what he's experiencing. His flesh is so wasted away that it cannot be seen, and his bones that were not seen stick out. His soul draws near to the pit, and his life to those who bring death. If there be for him an angel, though, a mediator, one of thousands to declare to a man what is right for him, and he is merciful to him and says, deliver him from going down to the pit. I have found a ransom. Let his flesh become fresh with youth. Let him return to the days of his youthful vigor. Then man prays to God and he accepts him and he sees his face with a shout of joy and he restores to this man his righteousness. He sings before men and says, I have sinned and perverted what is right and it was not repaid to me. He has redeemed my soul from going down to the pit and my life shall look upon the light. And Elihu was saying, what if an angel showed up and said, there's a ransom? And that's in fact what happened. Luke 2.9, an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. Fear not for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that'll be for all the people. For unto you is born in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. A ransom showed up on this earth. And I'm a messenger here this morning to tell you that a ransom has showed up in your place and you can't pay the price. And the way you get in on this ransom is you realize your hopelessness to save yourself. You see the love of God. You see what God has done for you in Christ. And you look to him in faith and say, that's my only hope. That's my only hope of salvation. So my prayer is, you remember your captivity. You see the ransom. You see the love of God. And you cling to him by faith. Father, thank you. Thank you, thank you for the good news. Lord, I pray that that would overflow with a life that wants to honor you. You are our master and our Lord, and we joyfully submit to you since you bought us. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.